The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Dr. Anu Kumar is the head of IPAS Partners for Reproductive Justice, and she's here to talk about the impact of the Dobbs Supreme Court decision on abortion access all around the globe. Um, and so I, I'm so curious um, from your vantage point, doctor, how the Dobbs decision impacts people who can get pregnant all over the world. So so how do you see it? You know, like the day of the decision, what were the impacts that were ticking through your mind? Thank you so much for for having me, Zerlina. I appreciate it. Yeah, IPASS has been, you know, focused on this issue for 50 years around the world, as you, as you note, and we've really seen a lot uh, in our time. Um, but I think the Dobbs decision really uh, signaled a retreat on the part of the United States from a commitment to freedom, um, not just reproductive freedom, but freedom, because after all, nearly half of our population uh, is, uh, you know, uh, is impacted by the Dobbs decision. So it really sent a very chilling uh, signal around the world. Um, you know, at IPASS, we've been committed to expanding access to abortion uh, for 50 years now, and, and we do it for two main reasons. The first is that unsafe abortion can lead to illness and death. I mean, it's it's still a really major and significant public health issue. There are 35 million unsafe abortions that take place every year around the world, and tens of thousands of women uh, have died from unsafe abortions or have been injured. And the tragedy is that all of these deaths and injuries are entirely preventable. And and the second really important reason to focus on expanding access to abortion uh, and contraception is that it's just a necessary precursor to reproductive justice uh, for everyone. Um, It's a cornerstone. Abortion is just linked to so much more, and uh, reproductive rights are a cornerstone to so many other rights. So IPASS, which was formed in 1973, just as the Roe decision Mm -hmm. was becoming a law in the United States, um, has really been thinking about these issues from a very comprehensive way. And I just want to point out that um, 1973 was also a very important year for another policy, which is the Helms Amendment, uh, Mm -hmm. which is an amendment to the U.S. Foreign Assistance Act that says that U.S. foreign assistance funds cannot be used for abortion care in any way. That policy is still in place. So in effect, the U.S. has been banning abortion overseas for the past 50 years. Um, so when, when, we, when I think about what happened here in this country, you know, with the Dobbs decision, what I see is the Helms Amendment being implemented domestically. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's a really helpful um picture to paint because the Helms Amendment and the Hyde Amendment, I've, of, I've often heard them cited together um, mm-hmm. as problems that need to be, uh, get they, we need to repeal both. Um, frankly, um, if you're a pro-choice advocate, that is usually how it's put. And I think that when 
when you think when you put it that way that the Helms Amendment effectively banned the procedure outside of the globe it makes it a lot clearer that like what's happening here in this country it's not anything new like we're we're in a post-ops moment and the reality for um you know american women in the 26 states that immediately outlawed abortion or or even in neighboring states this impacts um the ability of people to make appointments if there are tons of people traveling from other places too um it becomes immediately clear that what we're seeing has already been happening in other parts of the world where it was more difficult to access not just abortion, but contraception. Talk a bit about how the Helms Amendment impacted the ability of people around the world to actually access the full slate of reproductive health care. We've been, ta- been talking every day this week on the show about how abortion is just it's, it's health care. It's just a part of the full slate of reproductive health care. And if you restrict access to that, as you just explained, it, it impacts the whole thing. Yeah, it really does. So, you know, and, and the interesting thing about the Helms Amendment, uh, interesting in a bad way, is that uh, I think most Americans have forgotten that it even exists. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, kind of in the background, like part of the wallpaper. Um, it just happens all the time and no one really thinks about it any longer. And in fact, I pass. Uh, introduced the very first bill to repeal the Helms Amendment a few years ago uh, in Congress um, and has received a lot of, that bill has received a a lot of bipartisan support, though of course in this current political climate it's not likely to pass. Uh, Nonetheless, we felt it was important to really raise the issue, um, uh, you know, and to to remind people that it still exists. You know, it's important to note that the United States is the only country that singles out an essential medical procedure, what you just said, basic health care, abortion, in its foreign aid. Mm. The U.S. government stigmatizes it. It imposes an ideological viewpoint uh, that some politicians have on programs that are meant to help millions of people, particularly black and brown people who live thousands of miles away. Um, and what we know about the impact of this is it's quite startling. Um, Data has shown that um, there would be, if the Helms Amendment were repealed, that there would be approximately fewer, 19 million fewer unsafe abortions every year and 17,000 fewer maternal deaths every year. Um, And there would be 12 million fewer women each year who have abortion-related complications. So millions of lives are impacted. And and by the way, that is very likely to be an underestimate. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we've literally, this government has literally been responsible for uh, the lives of millions of people around the world uh, and harming those lives. You know, to me, it's really clear that the Helms Amendment is rooted in racism. Uh, It's rooted in colonialism and in patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just uh, to have that continue to be part of our foreign policy undermines I think, our stated values and goals of being a, a country that stands for freedom uh, and democracy. Uh, so, you know, it, it's startling to me that it continues to exist uh, and that even under this administration, even under the Biden-Harris administration, there is not discussion of changing the Helms Amendment in any way. That's, I mean, that's disappointing. I think more people now um, perhaps may, may call their congressperson um, and bring this up. I don't think anybody was calling to say repeal the Helms Amendment. Maybe maybe they were saying repeal Hyde, but not Helms. And now you have um, both. Uh, you can mention if this conversation is uh, troubling you the way it is me. Um, when we when we talk about 
the fact that we're criminalizing abortion, which is what we're doing here, um, that's not something that's new around the globe either. Um, there are countries in the world where women are jailed. People who can get pregnant are jailed um, for abortions and miscarriages. Can you talk a bit about how scary it is for that ideology to effectively come here um, to the United States and, and how we're moving backwards while even some of those countries that maybe they historically did some of those very problematic things, they're moving the other direction when it comes to reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have, you know, uh, experience in uh, countries where abortion has been completely banned. So, for example, Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, doctors refused to provide chemotherapy treatment to a pregnant woman who had aggressive cancer uh, because they feared that anything that they would do could harm the fetus and that would be banned and la- land them in jail. Um, Brazil, where uh, police raided a clinic and took uh, clinic records and sent providers to jail. Um, And essentially, a large portion of the United States is now living under the same type of abortion bans. Um, So, yes, criminalizing abortion, and we've seen this overseas, means that providers can go to jail, and it means that women can go to jail. Mm -hmm. We've seen this in Nepal, in El Salvador, in Rwanda. Uh, And while jail time is horrible and terrible, I do want to say that it's not the only negative consequence that occurs from making abortion a crime. There are, of course, health consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, forcing um, a person to give birth. Pregnancy is risky, right? Uh, particularly in places um, where health systems are not strong. And so pregnancy is a very risky experience. Um, of course, forced parenthood is not just risky and bad for the parent, but also for children. And we have data there as well. Um, we also see burnout uh, by on the part of overburdened providers. You know, what we're seeing in the U.S. already is that providers in states where abortion isn't banned are seeing a huge increase in patient load. These providers are going to experience, if they're not already, uh, burnout, uh, and uh, we should be concerned for their mental health. Um, and then I think fundamentally the bans really break up the relationship between a doctor and a patient because if a patient cannot trust their provider to have their best interest in heart, then they're afraid. They're afraid of speaking up. They're afraid of sharing information. And fear is, uh, you know, can be have such detrimental consequences. So, you know. Criminalizing abortion has far-reaching consequences, you know, jail time for sure, but many other consequences. And then, Zerlina, you know, I just want to mention, and, you know, you, you, you said this already, but it doesn't have to be this way. Right. You know, so, you know, like, it, we don't have to live in this kind of country. And in fact, many people don't. So one of right. the things about IPASS and, and our longevity in our 50 years is that we've had a lot of successes. We've seen abortion liberalized in Argentina, in Chile, in Mexico, in Ireland, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the last 50 years, more than 50 countries have liberalized their abortion laws, and only a handful have moved backwards. And unfortunately, the United States is one of them. It's really sad. It makes me sad to think about the fact that we, I mean, I remember 
even when The Handmaid's Tale came out, everybody was like, everybody's overreacting to make the comparison. And then Margaret Atwood was like, everything in my book is an example I've used from history. <laughs> it's happened mm-hmm. to someone in the world through, um, throughout the course of history or in the present. Like, all of this stuff is real. It is not fiction. <laughs> um, and then we were like, no, no, we're overreacting. And now we're living in this, this post-Dobbs world. And we're like, oh, shoot, maybe we should have listened to some of those people who were ringing the alarm bells back then. Um, and, and for the past 50 years, as IPAS has done, talk a bit more about um, medication abortion and abortion care abroad. Because mm-hmm. one of the things I've also thought about post-OBS is the am- amount of people, not just that are traveling domestically from one state to another to mm-hmm. seek out care or get pills mailed from another state, but also people are going to leave the country. Um, talk a bit about that um, access point for people and in, in how that's going to impact. Um, well, it'll impact a lot, but talk, talk us through that. Yeah, you're right. People are going to leave the country. And pr- prior to Roe, uh, people did. In fact, there was a very famous case of uh, Sherry Finkbein who left uh, to go to Sweden, in fact, to terminate a pregnancy um, before Roe and um, where in fact, the the young Ruth Bader Ginsburg was also studying, um, and that that I think experience was rather formative for Justice Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're right. People travel. Uh, p- women in Latin America have long come to Miami for care when abortion was criminalized in many parts of Latin America. Uh, women in the United States have traveled, used to, tra- you know, would travel to Europe uh, and elsewhere. And now, what we're seeing is that women, uh, especially particularly women in the Texas border, are going to Mexico. Um, so I want to point out that Mexico City has had legal abortion for 15 years, and it is available for free in the public sector in uh, Mexico City and now in uh, many more states in the country following a, a, a court decision there um, a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, what's happening is that American women are now seeking out care in Mexico. The other thing that's really taking happening with it at a much greater speed here is um, medical abortion pills or medication abortion, which is a game changer. So, these pills, particularly misoprostol, there's there are two drugs that are involved here. There's mifepristone and misoprostol, and taken together, these are these are highly effective uh, uh, medications. But taken alone, misoprostol is also very effective mm-hmm. in ending a pregnancy. And women in Latin America have been using misoprostol on its own for decades. And in fact, it is women in Latin America who alerted, essentially, uh, who you know, who alerted health authorities and providers that misoprostol can, in fact, be used safely because they did it through their social networks. Mm-hmm. You know, one woman told another woman told another mm-hmm. woman, and pretty soon that was the way people were ending pregnancies in Brazil and other parts of Latin America where abortion was, uh, you know, was, was restricted. So um, that is what we're going to be seeing and are already seeing in the United States, our networks of people helping each other to get their hands on medical abortion pills. Um, so and this is, you know, in my, from my point of view, this is really positive because uh, these drugs are safe. But what is negative is that we deserve so much better than right. clandestine hidden networks. Uh, of you know abortion pill providers, we deserve counseling. We deserve care. We deserve uh, you know backup treatment. We de- we deserve it all. 
and so this kind of clandestine network, while I'm delighted that it exists because people need care today, and I'm grateful for people who are brave and step up, it's not enough. I think that um, when you said that the abortions in Mexico City are free, I was like, I don't know that I was aware of that until you said it, Um, because I knew that obviously I knew it was legal. I did not realize it was free. And I think this goes back to your point about the the Helms Amendment, but also the Hyde Amendment, which, you know, our conversation here is shut down when you mention the fact that, you know, like, well, I don't want my tax dollars going to that. My tax dollars go to all kinds of things that I don't believe in. Um, so what your personal convictions are about the issue of abortion should not impact government policy. Like, that's what I fundamentally believe. And I think that when we when we talk about funding, you know, people can stand up on a soapbox and act like, you know, they don't want their money to go to specific things when our money goes to all kinds of things. And we should demand what Mexico City is doing, which is that this is health care. Health care should be universal i mean again this is the progressive channel so i'm preaching to the choir um what in terms of issues that are top of mind for you we have three more minutes here what are some of the fights ahead um now that we are in this post Dobbs world in terms of protecting access both um here um in terms of i guess allowing people to to have um the ability to or get to places where it is legal or get to places where they can have access to medication abortion, but also to protect access to abortion um, care here and abroad. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., um, we'll see much, we're already seeing a lot of litigation around uh, medical abortion pills. I think that'll continue to be a a really contested site. Uh, Travel uh, and sharing Mm -hmm. of information will be another uh, area of of, uh, that'll be contested and is being contested. Um, The age old battle, I think, in legal circles around um, federal law versus state law and which is, uh, you know, which takes precedent, which is more important. Um, and and of, and then modes of delivery of of healthcare, so telemedicine, and and and, that, and whether that is permitted for abortion uh, or not in the United States. Um, you know, these conversations are conversations that are happening to some extent overseas, but not really. Um, I just want to you know mention that in even in places like Nepal, and I say even because Nepal is a very very poor country, um, community health workers can give medical abortion pills to women. Mm without a prescription. So, you know, while we're, as activists, we're delighted with, with what happened with the FDA decision uh, here in the U.S. about pharmacies being allowed to provide abortion pills, this is still not enough. Nice. Um, and it, it doesn't, again, need to be this way. So I think there's a lot, in fact, that the U.S. could learn from global activism. Um, and, and I hope that the, the U.S., reproductive justice movement really lifts its head up and looks around, even in this moment, to what's worked in other parts of the world to shift and move the needle towards reproductive freedom. Such an important conversation. I'm so grateful um, to you, Dr. Kumar, for being here and having this conversation. On the last day of the week, we've been focused every day on the topic of abortion and contraception and reproductive justice. Uh, the president of IPATH Partners for Reproductive Justice. Thank you for being here today to close out the week. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.